This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. I, I have the distinct honor today to um, talk about the end times with you. And man, this is a subject that is weighty, it's heavy. But it's a lot of fun. We had a fun time in our first service, and uh, I want you just to open your hearts today. I want to ask this question. If you're here today and, and end time stuff kind of freaks you out a little bit, would you just kind of raise your hand with me? Like, like all right, we got a couple. Okay, that's not bad at all, actually. How many people here, you feel like you're prolific in the study of end time prophecy? You know what each toe of the image is. Every, all ten toes represent, and you know what that is, right? Amen. I, I, I get cracked up when people, they start, uh, you know, prophesying about prophecies. You know, they start interpreting. And one of the things when we enter into the subject of the end times, we got to be careful because everything is in, in, in shadows and types and in part, the Bible says. So as we look into these things, um, it, it becomes peculiar as as uh, we, we look at images and shapes and silhouettes. But God has given us a great tool and something that we can lock into. And I'm going to try in the next 37 minutes to share with you kind of a big idea. And I'm really excited about doing that. But before I do that, I want to say this. Uh, this last week in our nation, it, it's been a crazy week. A lot has happened. There's a lot of emotions um, there's a lot of feelings that go behind what has taken place. And I want to first say this, that the Promise Center stands for, we stand for unity, we stand against racism, amen? We stand against acts of violence, and we also are praying that God will do something great in the hearts of this nation. Because this nation needs a revival. Amen. There are too many secondary solutions that are being tossed around. They're not the solution. In fact, who we get in the White House in November, that's a secondary solution. It's not who we get in the White House, it's who went to a cross 2,000 years ago. That is the solution. So, that doesn't mean don't vote, don't go out and say... Pastor Chad said, don't vote. And, well, here's what, I'm, here's what I am saying. And I'm saying that America is ripe for a harvest and for a revival. And I believe this is the time that the church can shine the brightest. So I want to encourage you to shine bright. I want to encourage you to season your words with salt. I want to encourage you to encourage those and speak life into our communities and speak life into these situations. Because out of it, out of these travesties, God can bring glory in some way, and He's good at doing that. And so as we, we mourn the losses of many lives that have happened through violence, through hate, through racism, we're going to stand as, as a light, as a city on a hill, and say, you know, we will not be moved. We will continue to shine bright that there is a God who loves and has taught us to love one another. It's very simple. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. It's as simple as that. Amen? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray for the victims. I want, to pray, I want us to pray for the families of the victims. And I want us to pray for our nation together. So I want to invite you to stand one more time. Heavenly Father, 
in this solemn assembly for this moment, we come together agreeing in your name that we need a revival in our nation. We need a revival in our world. We need your spirit to sweep through this country and touch and transform hearts. It is the cross, it is the gospel that brings us down to our basic elements, that, that reveals the hearts of men. Lord, I pray that the gospel will be amplified. Your light would shine through your face into our hearts again. Help us to search our hearts. I pray for our leaders. I pray for our political leaders. I pray for our local leaders, God, that you would cover them and protect them. I pray, Lord, for these victims and their families, that you would comfort their hearts, and that in all of this tragedy and all of the travesty, Lord, that, that they would be able to look to the hills from whence comes their help, and their help comes from you and we'll give you honor in Jesus name we pray amen and amen let's give the Lord a big hand clap amen God bless you, you may be seated amen the return of Christ the return of Christ how many here grew up going to Sunday school did you did you were you taught about the return of Christ? Well, well, okay. We have one no. Okay. Wasn't expecting that answer. I was, in, I, was, I was branded with this story called the rapture. And, and I'm, I'm not sad about that. But in our youth camps, one of our youth camps, I was probably 12 or 13 years old. They got the speaker, the preacher, the speaker, and they put a harness on him. And while he was speaking and teaching about the rapture, someone in the back began to pull him up as they sounded a trumpet. And as he's, as he's leaving the stage, he's saying, goodbye, sinner children. Goodbye. And we're just like this, Lord. Don't. You didn't brush your teeth. You stole candy from your, your sibling. I'm, you know, so anyways, that was uh, kind of how I grew up. But anyways... That's another story. The, re the return of Jesus Christ. Here's the, here's the big idea. This is not to scare us. This is to prepare us. This is not to scare us. This is to prepare us. And I, I really feel like this subject, it's a big subject, but I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible. I'm going to try to stay in one lane. There is a big idea here that I think is going to be able to help us. Now, if you've been aware or watching for any amount of time, you know this, that there's a lot of bad ideas out there, right? I don't know if anybody remembers in 1999, the banana scare, when everyone went bananas over bananas, remember this? And there was, um, uh, I, I'm not even sure how it's pronounced, I'm going to do my best, um, it, neculitis, uh, fascius, uh, some bacteria that was supposed to be on the bananas that were shipped into America, and it was flesh-eating, and it literally within three hours, all your flesh was eating. Well, it started with one email, turned into like 100, and then like it went to like 100 million people, and people were so scared about eating bananas. Actually, the, the Center for Disease Control actually had to set up a special hotline just for people to call about the bananas and let them know there is no 
whatever that word was, flesh-eating bacteria. But it's amazing how quick bad information can spread. And you're probably like me a little bit where you hear a lot about the end times and people making predictions and 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1988. If you were in the church around that, there were people pushing that and talking about that. And, there, and a couple years ago, in the Mayan calendar and this and that. And, and, and there's a couple of things that we do know about the return of the Lord. Uh, First off, it says this, that if anyone says to you, look here is the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. Don't, don't be running around trying to, trying to make sense and trying to make this person fit into a box and this is the Christ and this is the Savior. And, and there's actually people today who are claiming to be the Messiah that's come back and, and it says, don't do that. Don't go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What does that mean about this lightning thing? It simply means this, that when he comes back, he's coming back in the sky. The angels told the disciples he's going to come back the same way he left. He left in the sky, he was lifted up, and he's coming back in the sky. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will be together. He says, whenever you see all this stuff happening, look up. There's going to be something happening in the sky. This is a big point when it comes to the return of Jesus. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Now, we talked two weeks ago about the prophecies of the coming Messiah the first time. Did you know that in the Bible, this B-I-B-L-E, we talked about this two weeks ago, that there are five times more scriptures about the second coming of Jesus than the first? There are five times more prophecies and scriptures about the second coming of Jesus than the first. In fact, I'll give you this big idea, over 30% of your Bible is prophecy. So you say, I don't like prophecy, then you don't like about a third of your Bible. Your Bible is about prophecy. Your Bible is about God showing us things that were, things that came to pass, and things that are and will come to pass. And so the Lord has promised he will come again. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also will appear with him in glory. We will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You got to make a change because we know he's coming back. And what this, what this tells us is when he comes back, we will see him. Not only is he coming in the sky, but we will see him. John says this, when we see him, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. It is in seeing him that we are changed to become like him. So Jesus return, number one, it's imminent, which means it can happen anytime. Number two, it's an undisclosed time. It's an undisclosed time. Jesus said, no one knows the time or the day. Nobody. Nobody's going to figure it out. Nobody's going to get crack the code. No one's going to get the Bible and, and sneeze. And then all of a sudden it's going to pop off the page. Nobody's going to turn it upside down. No one's going to listen to a Hillsong song backwards. And it's going to tell you the special date of when Jesus is coming back. It's not going to happen. All right. It's an undisclosed time. It's he's turning in the sky and he's taking his church with him let's give the lord a hand clap for that that's that's good news that's good news so here we go it's the end times it's the end times it's a big idea so here's the issue when we begin to tackle and talk about a big subject like this and again we're in fundamentals so we're not gliding through summer we're growing through summer and when we talk about this 
all of us kind of detract because we go, well, there's four-headed beasts in the book of Revelation. There's all this stuff. There's like the beast. There's the Antichrist. There's the abomination of desolation. There's, you know, is he coming back again? Then is he setting up a kingdom? And then is he leaving again? What does heaven look like? What's the marriage supper of the Lamb? What are they serving at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Like all these questions, and you go, I don't get it. And what's cool is, is that God made it real simple for us. And I want to show you a very simple solution for us to kind of see a very, a very clear path of what God is showing the church today. Today, God has a sign for you and I. God has a sign for you and I. Again, this is not to scare us. This is to prepare us. Now, I know when I counsel young couples before they get married, they just want to get married before the end of the world. They want to get married before the end of the world. Don't let the world end. Jesus, don't come back until I get married. Then they get married a couple months later. They say, Lord, come, Lord, come. But that's another story. <clears throat> so no, no matter where you are on that scale, the end times is what we're going to be talking about. Let me show you uh, this in Matthew 24. This is Jesus speaking, uh, 30 AD. As it, is, uh, as it was in the days of Noah. Noah's the guy who built the big boat. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man... For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And that's why we're, the last year we made a statement, no more marriages until, no, I'm just kidding. What this is saying is, is very simple, they were just doing life. They were doing life, they are going to birthday parties, they were paying their bills, keep paying your bills so the Lord comes, but... But, uh, okay, so they were paying their bills. They were doing their thing. Life was normal until that day that Noah entered the ark. He entered the ark on a very strategic day. You know what day it was? When the boat was finished. When the boat was finished. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. People will be oblivious, but not everybody will be oblivious. Who wasn't oblivious here? Noah. Why? Because there was a boat. And God gave a very clear sign. Hey, the boat is almost finished. 120 years Noah worked on the boat, right? Guys, that feels like an eternity, right? But... 120 years, he worked on it, he worked on it. And then ultimately, what happened? When the boat was finished, others didn't see it, but God gave Noah privy information, two things. Number one, judgment's coming. Number two, build a boat. Now, if you just get the first information, man, you're in trouble. Judgment's coming, flood's coming, kumbaya, good luck, God bless you. But God's very specific and says, here's what I want you to do. He didn't say make a raft. He didn't say grab onto a tree. He said, I want you to build a boat, and here's the dimensions. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's the size. Here's the length. Here's the width. A window, a door. I want you to put three levels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very important to know that God was very specific on how to be saved from the coming flood. God has been specific with us of how to be saved from the coming judgment and the second coming of the Lord. I know this is a big idea, and you're going, whoa, this is crazy. This sounds crazy. But I'm telling you, it's in the Scripture over and over and over again. And I'm thankful that God has given us a sign, like the boat, that we can see, hey, this thing's coming to a close. This thing is almost finished. So what is that thing for us? What is the thing that we are to look for? What is that thing that we're to see? Well, here is what... God has given us. Are you ready? Here it is. Matthew 24 and 32. 
says this. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. Now any time in the Bible you see the word fig tree, every time it is referring to Israel. This is an idea about Israel. Look to the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Now what's interesting about this passage is Jesus just predicted at 30 AD that in the years to come, that Jerusalem and Israel will be destroyed and destroyed by the Gentiles, which they were destroyed by the Romans. Forty years before, Jesus predicts that it would be that Jerusalem and Israel will be destroyed. And he says, I want you to look. I want you to look to the fig because when it starts coming back, when you start seeing it blossom, when you start seeing the twigs and the tenderness, the leaves come out, then you know something's happened. You know this thing is closing down, winding down. So the picture that God has given the church, like Noah's boat, is Israel. Israel is this big sign. And some people get frustrated with Israel, get frustrated with Palestine, get frustrated with this issue. And they go, why can't we just fix it? And God says, this is the sign. This is going to be on the front page again and again and again and again because I'm reminding you this fig tree matters. This nation means something. The big idea is that it's not going away. It's not going away. Israel's kind of a big deal. You say, well, why is it such a big deal? I'm going to show you why it's a big deal. Now, in Genesis 15, 4 through 5, there's a story about a guy named Abram who becomes Abraham, who becomes the father of many nations. Now, he doesn't have any kids at this point, and God's like, hey, Abraham, guess what? I'm going to give you a bunch of kids. In fact, you're going to have so many kids and grandkids and great-grandkids that we're actually going to just be a nation. You're going you're to be the father, not just of a nation, but of many nations. Did you know that the Arabs come from the line of Abraham? Did you know that? There are 350 million Arabs in the world today. So would you say that God was right when he said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, and you're going to have a bunch of kids? So when God, if God tells you you're going to have a bunch of kids, you're going to have a bunch of kids. So he says this, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside. God takes Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. Everybody say stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So there's two parts to this. Number one, numerical. You're going to have a bunch of kids, Abraham. You know, a bunch of your kids are gonna have more kids, and it's gonna be they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna have a lot of, uh, of kids. So you, you're gonna be the father of many nations, many people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But more than just the quantity or the the quantity, I'm gonna show you something else. They're going to be your offspring shall be like the stars. What's the point of the stars? Well, Genesis one and fourteen. This is very important. Then God said, "Let the lights appear in the sky." So we got this sky. Separate the day from the night. Let them be signs. Everybody say signs. To mark the seasons, days, and years. So the, the stars, the lights in the sky are for seasons, days, and years. They're, they're to help us to understand. Number one, we navigate by them. But number two, to know the seasons. Okay? He says your seed, not just numerically, is going to be like the stars. It's going to show the seasons of this earth, of this world, what's going on. This is important. Pay attention to Israel because they are the stars that are warning us and saying, hey, something big is happening. 
big idea. Now, a lot of you, I know you're probably going, whoa, I didn't know that about Israel. And, and, and this thing, this thing just, just appears and pops into the scripture. No, it doesn't. This started from the very beginning, and I'm going to show you about Israel here. Now, this is a very, uh, Matthew 1 and 17, it says this, all those listed above, now Matthew's talking about the lineage of Jesus, all those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to Babylon, the Babylonian uh, exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. So this is not coincidence. As we talked about two weeks ago, no, nothing in God's plan is a coincidence. Everything's by providence. Everything's done in, in order. Just like the stars, they're in orbit, and there's, there's a place for them, the, the solar system. There's, there's a rhyme and reason to it. Same thing with Israel, and same thing with this, this Abraham to David, this advent from David, the kingship, to Babylon, 14 generations, 14 kings that m most of them didn't listen to God, and then 14 from Babylonian exile, when Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem and tears it apart and, and everyone's scattered and, and, and these people have to, the Jews have to go for 70 years. We'll talk about that in just a moment. To the Messiah, we have 14 generations. And so everything is in pattern, everything is in place, and nothing is a mistake. Turn your neighbor and say, nothing is a mistake. I'm gonna show you this very quickly. Abraham, Babylon, the Messiah. Abraham, Babylon, the Messiah. There are three key points that I want to share with you here in just a moment. I'm going to go quick. I'm going to rifle through these, so you've got to pay attention. Egyptian slavery, 400 years. Babylonian captivity, 70 years. Scattered to every nation for 1,878 years. We're going to talk about all three of these. These didn't come by coincidence. These were divinely orchestrated with a reason and a season. Number one, Egyptian slavery, 400 years. Now, can you imagine being Abraham and God says to you, hey, by the way, you're going to have kids. Woohoo! Tell me about them. Are they going to go to college? Are they going to be good looking? Are they going to be normal? You know, and he says, oh yeah, they're going to be slaves for 400 years. Well, thank you for that. But while they're slaves, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to grow in strength. I'm going to judge a nation and they're going to come out with great possession. I'm going to make them great. I'm going to accelerate them. I'm going to, I'm going to take a family and turn it into a nation through this affliction. Something amazing is going to happen. I'm going to build a nation within a nation. And this is not by accident. 200 years before, before they went into Egypt. Now, this is Abraham around. That little thing right there means around 2000 B.C. Egyptian slavery, 200 years before Joseph goes into Egypt and before his family comes and before they be, end up becoming slaves. Now, this is Exodus. This is 600 years. This, is, this story is 600 years after Abraham, watch this. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. Now you're going, aha, see the Bible made a mistake. The Bible said they would be afflicted for 400 years. The, f the first 30 years, Joseph was there. He was in charge, and for 30 years, everything was good. It was the next Pharaoh that came that started the 400 years that started afflicting and turning them into slaves. So God said exactly what happened, and we see it was no coincidence, and it was no accident. Now, Jeremiah 626 B.C. Jeremiah 626 B.C. Now, remember, in this time, somewhere right over here is David. He, he has a son named Solomon. They build this, this temple, Solomon's temple. It's, it's ornate. It's beautiful. It's amazing, and, 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 and Jerusalem's doing its thing. Lots of kings that are rebellious. Lots of kings who don't listen to God, and finally, God sends Jeremiah, and God says through Jeremiah, look, dudes, that's the Chad paraphrase. Look, dudes, if you don't get this right, 
I'm going to destroy this temple, Jerusalem, and Israel, and I'm going to make you a slave. I'm going to, I'm going to make you captive. I'm going, to send, I'm going to send you, and I'm going to bring the Babylons, and, and, and I, I just, 14 generations of hard hearts, and I told you in the book of Deuteronomy that I'll give you the land, you can possess the land, as long as you do what I'm asking. You have the title, just, just do what I ask. Have a good heart. Follow the law. And they rebel, and they rebel, and they rebel. So God sends Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and this is what he says. The entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighbors, uh, neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon. <gasps> we don't serve anybody but God. No, you're going to serve Babylon. I'm going to let you go to Babylon. For how long? For 70 years. Jeremiah prophesied exactly to the year how long Israel would be in Babylon. But watch this. Then after the 70 years of captivity are over, I will punish the king of Babylon and his people for their sins. So not only am I putting you in exile, you're in a timeout for 70 years. But when it's done, Babylon's going to fall at the end of the 70 years. Now, here's what's really cool. Isaiah 690 BC. He's even before Jeremiah. He prophesies about a rebuilding of Jerusalem. If you were living in the days of Isaiah, you would say, Isaiah, you're crazy. Look right there. There's the, there's the house of God. The temple's right there. Not, what, what do you mean rebuild? Solomon built this, and for generations it's been standing. For, four, for 13 generations, here it is. And you're going to say, someone's going to rebuild it? He says, absolutely yes. When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He will certainly do as I say. He will command and rebuild Jerusalem, and he will say, restore the temple. Now, we talked about two weeks ago how the Bible, you can quantify it. You can look at history and say, did this really happen? Isaiah prophesied 200 years before the man Cyrus was even born. Cyrus becomes the king of the new Persian empire that would destroy the Babylonian empire. And in destroying the Babylonian empire, he would free the Jews and send them back. He didn't want them to go to Persia. You know what he did? He said, you know what? I'm going to fund you. Go back and rebuild your stuff. Cyrus. And God gave the name and how 200 years before it ever happened. See, all this stuff is not a coincidence. Divine providence God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't stumble with timelines. He doesn't go, oops, man, you guys are crazy to figure this out. His plan was accomplished before time began. Amen. Now, talks about Cyrus and going before and breaking the gates. And if you look up Cyrus, you can look him up. Online, you can see that he, his, the, the Persians were able to break through armored gates, and it's just all right there. And again, the he, I mean, you're good when you say the guy's name 200 years before he's born. But anyways, look that up later. All right, so here we go. We have Israel, Egyptian slavery. They're captive for seven years in Babylon, but then we have this scattered. Everybody say scattered. This is different. This is unique. And this is introduced in the Old Testament there, because even Jeremiah talks about the captivity of Israel but then them being scattered. Well, what do you mean scattered? You've got, you've got two. Are they, are they captive or are they scattered? And Jeremiah prophesied of both advents that one, they would be in captivity, but one, they'd be scattered. And for over 1,800 years, Jews have been scattered into all the nations of the world. Now watch what Jesus says. This is supposed to be an, not an A.C., which would be cool to turn up the AC a little bit, but 30 AD, Jesus, 30 AD, hallelujah, amen. So uh, before, 40 years before this happened, scattered to every nation. When did this happen? How did this happen? The Romans come in 70 AD. 
They come in 70 AD. They surround the city, and they literally pulverize the Jews, decimate Israel. And for 1,800-plus years, Israel is dispersed. The Jews are dispersed into all the world. Watch what Jesus says about this. Luke 21. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city. He's warning them. Now, remember, a lot of people thought that Jesus was going to sit on the throne. He was going to actually be a physical, uh, earthly king. That wasn't the plan. At this time, okay, that wasn't the plan. And so they're going, oh, we're not getting this. Are you talking about, what are you talking about? So Jesus has to differentiate between what's going to happen to Jerusalem and then when he comes back the second time. And so in these discourse in Luke 21 and Matthew 24, you're going to have to discern between those two. He first starts talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Very important. As he says this, he's giving them insight. Hey, things aren't going to always be the way that they are. Now watch this, Luke 21 and 24, and this is so important. If, you, if, you, if you've been wandering off and you've been daydreaming, come back because this scripture is paramount. Ready? They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles, which happened. How long will this last? How long will they be scattered? Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What does that mean? You're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Turning the gospel message to all the world, Jew and Gentile, not just Gentile. Jew, it's for everybody. It says when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, once Noah's boat is done, you're going to see a regathering. How long is this going to be? How long will they be in all the nations? When the days of the Gentiles are closing, Israel will start coming back and become a nation again. Watch this. This is very important. In the book of Romans 11 and 25, I want you to understand this mystery. Dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. So there is a final number. There is a final day. Here's what's really cool. We were at a conference last week, and there's these purpose initiatives through YWAM and different groups that have come together. And what is amazing, we were in this conference talking with 3,000 other pastors. Five years ago, the gospel went to every nation, but it wasn't in every tribe. The Bible says every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. It's not, at every, not in every tribe yet. Five years ago, was at 30, there were 3,600 tribes in the world without a believer, a Bible, or the body of Christ. In five years, they've taken 600, 600 of those off that list. Now we're down to 3,000. In the next five to 10 years, their plan is to get a believer and a Bible and the body of Christ into every single tribe. You and I are watching this happen. We are watching this being fulfilled. And watch this, Matthew 24 and 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then it says, and then the end will come. So as the gospel is being preached, he says simultaneously, 
Israel is going to start reforming. As the gospel's reaching the world, two things are happening. The door is shutting, and God is bringing back Israel from the four corners of the earth. I know this is a big idea, and you're going, get me out of here quickly. This is cray-cray. But hold on just for a minute, all right? Amos 9 and 14, 750 years before Christ, prophesying about something that happened in 1948. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands. The Jews that are going back to Israel, they're, they're migrating every year, thousands upon thousands. Some from Australia, Russia, Asia. When I was in Southeast Asia, I met Jews. This is back in 2001, 2002. I met Jews that lived in Asia. And yet God did this miracle of keeping these people, their custom, their language, their culture, for over 1,800 years. How does that happen? It's the miracle of Israel. It's the promise of the Scripture. You, we're the Aztecs today, a civilization that was dispersed and broken apart and conquered. Where are they? Where's Babylon today? We're, we're the people of Babylon. You have people that are called the people of Babylon? No. This is so unique because God said it would happen. And the only reason it happened is because God said it would happen. 600, 750 years before Christ. And they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. And they will plant vineyards and gardens. And they will eat their crops and drink their wine. And I will firmly plant them there in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Isaiah 66 and 7, 690 years before Christ, before the birth pains even begin. Jerusalem gives birth to a son. Who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who ever heard of such a thing? He's saying, before you're, you know, my wife with our first child, Joshua, um, we had about seven false signals, would you call it? Is it Braxton Hicks? Is that right? So, like, we, we were eating, there was a lot of burritos being eaten in those days, and, and oh, I think we're having, so we were at the, like, we were up at the, the hospital quite a bit, and they were false alarms, false alarms. And then finally, when it did happen, it was like 20 hours of labor, and I was there, her coach, and by her side. Actually, I fell asleep one time, and never, she's never let me, let it, it's never been let down. So anyways, um, still paying the price for that. But he says, can you imagine having a baby and no labor pains? Like, you go to the hospital, I think we're going to have a baby. Oh, the baby's here. That's what's going to happen. Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? But by the time Jerusalem's birth pains begin, her children will be born. Like the nation of Israel in, you know, 1899 would have been like, the Ottoman Empire is like going to let a nation, Israel become a nation. Where are all these Jews? Where are all the people? Yeah, Right. He says, man, it's going to happen so fast, your head is going to spin. It's going to be crazy fast. And he says this, Jeremiah 16, 
But the time is coming, says the Lord, when the people who are take, taken an oath will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who rescued the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. Instead, they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the people of Israel back to their own land, from the land of the north and from all the countries to which he had exiled them. For I will bring them back to this land that I, have, that I gave their ancestors. I'm bringing them back. Israel comes back. It's like fashion. Fashion always comes back. Hold on to those clothes. They're coming back. I've got like 14 pair of baggy jeans because baggy jeans are coming back. Tired of skinny jeans. Anyways, Jewish migration. 2008, 13,701 people migrated. 2015, 29,716. Last year, we just tipped where more people, more Jews live in Israel now than were killed in the Holocaust. Over six million Jews have returned and they are still returning. They are still going home and it's a miracle and it's happening. They're emptying nations and it's happening right before our eyes. He says, as you see this happen, as you see the little bud, as you see the little leaves, as you see this thing start happening, this is your sign. This is the boat. It's almost done. A nation's almost built. It's here, and I want you to open your eyes. The gospel's being spread. Jews are coming back home. Israel is rebuilt. It's all happening right before our eyes. World War I, why is World War I important? The Ottoman Empire, which was ruled by a caliphate, it's a long story, was ruled by a Muslim leader, a Muslim religious leader. It was a religious society. The Ottoman Empire spread all through the Middle East, down to Egypt, all into Turkey. The Ottoman Empire joined up with Germany in World War I. They lost, and because they lost, Palestine broke open, became free. World War I was about God preparing a land for the people. But the people weren't ready for the land because they were successful. They were blessed. They were, some of, many of them in high society, many of them very successful around the world in Britain, in Germany, in Poland, in Russia, all over the world. Very successful. Why would we want to go back? God in World War I broke open the Ottoman Empire that had ruled over 400 years. The stage was set, but the people weren't ready. But the Balfour Declaration, and I'm just putting this because if you rewatch this, you can look this up. Balfour Declaration is a very important document after World War I in 1917. And this is the first declaration of an of an, of an Israel state, an Israeli state that was proclaimed that happened right at the end, right at the end of World War I. This idea came out of nowhere. What? We're, there's going to be a nation? How can this even happen? And within months, things begin to accelerate. And within months, now the Brits, now the British Empire, now uh, the, the, England has control of Palestine. That's crazy. That's bizarre. So what happens? Well, there's a few people that move home, but World War II happens. And this now prepared the people for the land. They lost everything. Lost people, lost business, lost friends, lost family. And something happened here that caused the Jews to say, it's time to go home. The nations say, this is your place. This is your home. And here's what happened. In May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation right in front 
of our eyes, fulfilling prophecy some 2,700 years ago, prophecy of 2,500 years ago, Jesus' prophecy. God did it right in front of us. Jerusalem reunification, June 7, 1976. Israel takes Jerusalem. This is important. Why? Because God said it. Zechariah 8 and 7. This is what the Lord of heaven army says. You can be sure that I will rescue my people from the east and from the west. I will bring them home again to live safely in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and just toward them as their God. First, know this. Nothing is coincidence. Number two, know this. Israel is our sign, the Gentile sign to know God is winding this down. Gospels going out, Jews coming home. It's happening right before our eyes. Know this. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, a bride that has prepared herself. Amen. He says, before I come again, you're going to see the fig tree. You're going to see it. You can't miss it. It's on the news. It's everywhere. People are talking about it. People are confused. Why can't we get peace in the Middle East? It's going to be there because it's your sign. It's my sign. So here's what Peter says in his gospel, in his letter, excuse me. He says, what manner of man should we be? How should we act? How should we live knowing these things that God has purposed and that he will do? In light of what we know, how should we prepare our hearts? How should we prepare our lives? How should we live knowing Jesus is coming back for his church, a glorious, victorious church. I want to be a part of his bride. And the Bible says this, there were 10 virgins. A sound came out awakened the church. Five did not have the oil, five did. Five went forward, five went back. And I want to be those who not only awakened, but moved forward and said, I am ready. I am ready. Would you stand? Would you stand? Right where you are, would you bow your head? Would you just open your heart? so big and so wide Heavenly Father we call upon you again search our hearts today you have given us so much proof you've given us the signs of the time we're not looking for what does the ninth toe mean or Who's the Antichrist or how is this going to work out? We know that the gospel is being preached. We know that your Israel's coming back together. They're migrating. It's being built. You said you keep bringing them. You'd bring them. They become a nation. They become a people again. Your people. And you said watch for this. So we know, Lord, you can come any moment. We know, Lord, that your bride is to prepare herself and be ready. And, Lord, we want our hearts to be ready. And we want our attitudes to be ready. We want our families to be ready. Don't let us approach this with a light heart. Let us approach this with a heavy heart and say, Lord, if there's anything in me, if there's anything in me that's not of you, if there's any earthly thing in me that's not of you, anything that doesn't please you, Lord, search my heart today. I repent. I repent, Lord, because I want to know you. You're my Savior. I thank you for your mercy. Every, every sinner 
has a future because every saint has a past. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your grace. We thank you. We thank you for mercy. Can you just lift your hands with me and lift your voices for a moment? For more information about who we are, we invite you to go to thepromisecenter.com. God bless you.